to hear the worship that has been lifted up before the Lord. And so we come this morning, we want to continue worship with Him. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. And we begin, begin reading here in verse 1. We're going to, go, we're going to read Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that, fornica- that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with, the, with empty words, for because of these things, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, it is with joy that we can bow before you today and acknowledge that you are the one who has made any righteousness possible. You have given your Son for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, I thank you that you saw fit to have mercy on us because of your great love, not because of anything we have done. And so this morning as we open, look at this passage, we ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to open the word to speak the truth. And Lord, give us hearts that want to hear and receive and understand and obey. Give us minds that engage our our thinking. Give us hands and feet that, that do your will to give you glory and praise forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have... We have come through the book of Ephesians. We're coming. We're still working our way through it. And we've come to this place where we are now at chapter 5. And Paul has, we have transitioned well from the doctrine of salvation to the practice of salvation. From the doctrine of grace to the outworking of grace. From the inflow of the work of Jesus Christ to the outflow of the work of Christ in a believer's life. And so, as we come to this, to this first passage here uh, in, in chapter 5, he's addressing, he's addressing the, the walk, the conduct of life, of the Christian life. The Christian's conduct is how he governs his life, how he lives his life, how he 
where he goes, what he does, and how he does the things he does. The title of this message is The Christian's Walk in God's Love. The Christian's Walk in God's Love. The predominant fruit of the Spirit is love. It has well been said that all the other fruit that are mentioned in the Scriptures of the Spirit are, are branched off of the fruit of love. The major thing that happens in a Christian's life, when he becomes a person's life and they become born again, is God's love begins to reign. There's a sense of a love for God that never was there before. This works out in many different ways. It goes down many different streams in their lives. It has many different effects. It affects many different places, but the, the source and the power and the ability is the same. And we must always realize that whatever, wherever God has called us, Christ is that sure and steady anchor. He is the one that always we go back to, we draw from, we, we, we gather, we glean from. And it's because of what has been poured into our hearts that there is an ability to live as God would have us to live. Well, we want to look, first of all, here in verses 1 and 2, at love's pursuit of God. Secondly, in verses 3 to 4, we want to look at love's enemies expelled from our lives. And then thirdly, we want to look at the last three verses there, verses 5 through 7, love in discernment. So he says, be therefore imitators of God. We have that word, therefore. And we must look and see why it's therefore. And so we look back because he has been telling us that it is time for us to depart from the ways that grieve the Spirit. It's time for us to leave the path that we used to walk on. It's time for us to engage with the Holy Spirit and engage with Christ and live our lives in accordance to His grace and by His Spirit. Notice he says that you're, you're to guard your mouth, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but now it's to be used for edification. He says that you're not to grieve the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that, by which you are sealed till the day of redemption. It's one of the things Dad talked about with the children this morning. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by disobeying, by, by refusing to hear, by refusing to believe. And then he says, let all these things be put away from you, evil speaking, wrath, malice, anger, clamor. And then he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And the reason for that is because Christ, God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We're to do this as Christ has done so for us. And so when he says that as Christ has done, has given himself for us so that God would forgive us, now therefore, you be imitators of God. The same forgiveness God has shown to us is the same forgiveness we are to participate in with others. The same love that God has shown to us. It's the same love that which we participate with others. He says, therefore, be imitators. 
Imitate God as beloved children. Imitating God comes as a result of our love for him. Have you ever watched a child? We see this sometimes when a, when a, a child and his father have a good relationship. And you see that sometimes the little guy is somewhere by himself and he's doing something and he's trying to do it just exactly the way daddy did it. And, and he, he, he loves his dad. He, he, he respects his dad. And so he wants to be like him. There's a, there's a, there's a desire to, you know, put daddy's boots on when you can't hardly walk in them. There's a desire to, uh, you know, he'll pick up the words daddy says. Why is it? Because there's a love there. And that's just a small way. God in his love has loved us with such a great love. There is within the, the work of the Holy Spirit a desire given to us to imitate God. To imitate him. To do the way he does. In fact, we say that the little guy, he's a spitting image of his dad, or he's a chip off the old block. He looks like his dad. He's acting like his dad. The, the, the world should be able to look at us. The Christians should be able to look at us and say, there's an example of who God's like. This is how God works. This is how God acts. This is what God does in this situation. Well, let me ask you this. As we look at this, what does God's forgiveness look like? What does it look like? And I'm going to be referencing several scriptures here. So I'm going to turn to Matthew 18, and we'll hold our finger there. I want to read a few verses here. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. We notice that in this passage, we're not going to get into it deeply, but Jesus, Peter asks about forgiveness. He says, Lord, how often do I need to forgive my brother? You know, you would think that if somebody offended you seven times the same day for the same thing, that to forgive seven times, you know, after a while you would start to say, brother, what's wrong? You know, what, what are you doing? Jesus said it's not about how many times you forgive. It's the attitude of your heart that you would forgive him 70 times seven if he came back to you that many times. If he came back 490 times and said, I've wronged you here, would you forgive me again? Your heart would be so free, you would say, yes, I gladly forgive you 490 times in counting. And Jesus showed us this, that this is how he deals with us. 
Because the man who had the, 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 the king that he's talking about here, the Lord, the king, who had the servant, is, the, is God. God had his people and we owe him an unpayable debt. There's a debt of sin that we cannot pay. Sin is reckoned, that's one of the things it's like. It's like a debt, an account that God keeps. And there's a, there's a deficit there that we can never surmount. I love what John MacArthur said one time. He said, some people like to think that they can, they can work a little harder, do a little better. Brother Glenn mentioned that about adding the works of men, the religion of men to somehow gain us a little more ground to being right with God. But he said it's like, John MacArthur says, it's like somebody that would come out here to the coast of California and with a flying leap say, I can reach Hawaii. Now he said, don't get me wrong. He said, some of us would barely make the water. Others of us would land further out in the water. But it's all hopelessly lost if we depend on our own strength. That's exactly the way this is portrayed. For us to... For, for, for us to pay what God, what we owe God, the righteousness, the holiness, the expectation that is right from us on, his, on our account from him is impossible for us to pay. And look at, and you notice the consequences. This man would have to be sold. Everything he has would be sold. His wife, would, his children would be sold into slavery. They would be in poverty for the rest of their lives, and every single penny they would try to make would go toward that debt. And he says, and he comes to this master, and he says, have patience with me. I will pay you all. I don't know what his plan was. I don't know what he was thinking. But the master realized this man will never be able to pay. And it's going to only subject him and his children and his wife into misery. So he forgave him. Friends, we are no different. Sometimes we forget that God has the right to send us to a live burning hell forever. When God told Adam that the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. The consequences were his eternal death. But God had mercy. God had mercy. And because God has mercy and because God has grace, and he forgives, he forgives through the work that he does toward us. And so, his forgiveness is a forgiveness of an unpayable debt. Let's go to Mark 6, verse 25. Let's look what else that Jesus has to say about the forgiveness. Mark 6, and verse 25. I'm sorry, I don't have the right passage. Let's move on. 
In Luke 6, in verse 37 to 38. Jesus says here, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, for the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God has forgiven us our sins, and His forgiveness is so free. His forgiveness is so free that it it is so overwhelming that it fills us full and puts us and puts literally puts pressure on us. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, forgive and you will be forgiven. And as you forgive, remember to give good measure, because God has forgiven you so much. That it, that needs to put some pressure on your life. To say, look, God has done so much for me. I cannot help but to give in abundance to forgive and to give. Brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus says God's forgiveness should look like in our lives. And so if we're going to imitate God, if we're going to follow God, we're going to follow Christ, there needs to be something of, of a... Of a of a longing, a yearning, a, a, some sort of a compulsion within us that says, I have to give and forgive as God gave to me and forgave me. It has to do with the mindset. It has to do with the attitude of the heart. It has to do with how we think. It has to do with the way we operate and move. More than just the things we do, it is the attitude. It is the thinking that we have about these things. Now this imitation, it is likened to dearly beloved children. As dearly beloved children. As children who are dear to their parents. Who love to mimic their parents. So imitating God means that we'll be putting on the godlike traits and qualities that identify us with him. In Colossians 3 verses 12 to 14, he says, "Therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, Paul says here, as elect, as chosen children of God, as those who have been especially chosen by God. Your calling, according to His merciful choosing of you, is to put these things on. He called you so that you would show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so, 
as dear children means that he has called us out. He's made us his children for this purpose. That we would show forth the praises of him. And in showing forth his praises, we must, we must think differently than we used to. We must act differently than we used to. We must desire different desires than we used to desire. We must have a different working inside in order for the outside to be what God has called us to be. The flesh will never please God. This is not something you try to do in the flesh. It's something God works in you to do by the Spirit. You need to let Him do His work. Christ was a perfect example for us in Matthew 3 and verse 17 when he was being baptized. We see here how that a beloved son imitated his father. In Matthew 3, in verse 7, let me back up. In verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized of him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? Jesus answered and said to him, to permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Do you understand what John is saying? John is saying, Jesus, I know you are the Messiah. You are the one sent from God. I ought to be being baptized by you. This, this, this washing needs to happen to me. There's no sin in you. Jesus, Jesus humbled himself to the point where he said, permit it to be so now. Go ahead and baptize me. I'm submitting myself as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. I'm humbling myself to you. And we notice that when he does, in, in verse 17, after, this, after the baptism, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is a perfect example of Jesus giving himself up. Of him humbling himself. Being made in the form of man, not only being made in the form of man, but submitting himself to baptism by John. And God says, in response to this, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see, this is what imitation of God looks like. We see how that he pleased God in the way that he displayed the Father. God was sending His own Son. God was doing the giving. Christ was paying the price. Romans 8, verses 12 to 14. This kind of living doesn't come out of a vacuum. This kind of way of life is not something that we reproduce in ourselves. It's not something that we can go to a seminar and learn. It's not something we can have by just 
being in the right company. But let's notice what he says. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Brothers and sisters, there must be a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart in order for this to be possible. You must be a child of God, and there must be a work of the Holy Spirit. You, those two go together, by the way. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is at work. And His goal is to make you like God, to make you like Christ, to make me like Christ. And notice He says that if you're going to live by the flesh, and this is universal, if all men will live by the flesh, they'll die. If you live according to the outward carnal instincts and nature, natural man, you will die. You'll die in your sins. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees and scribes. They look at all the things on the outside, but they never dealt with the heart. They never made things right inside. And Jesus says that as many of you as are led by the Spirit of God, it is the work of the Spirit to do this work inside the heart, and you are the sons of God. These and these only are the sons of God. And so, my friends, this kind of living is only reproduced. It's exclusively in the children of God, and it's by the Holy Spirit's work in them, not by means of their own. Imitating God means conducting our lives as a, as a living sacrifice. Notice verse 2. Now, not only are we to imitate Him, but we're to walk in this likeness. That means that we're, there's action involved here. That means there's, there's something going on. It's not just something I know in my head. It's not something I feel good about in my emotions. But I am walking in something that God has done in my life, and it's something that is real. In fact, he says that we are to walk in this love. Imitating God means conducting our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Imitating and following Christ is a walk of life that is different. We're going to see that here in a little bit, that is different from those who do not follow Christ. We cannot expect that things are going to be just the way they were before we were born again. Things are different now. Things are changed now. There's a new mindset, and you're going to walk differently. And what I mean by that is you're going to conduct your life differently. If there is no difference in the conduct of your life, there has not been a new birth. We must conclude that because we cannot walk in this life and be nothing in, as, in regards to the glory of God and expect to receive it all at the end of this life. Christ has given himself so that we might glorify God. And so this life is about bringing Christ's glory into our lives and bringing us to glorify him and there must be a change or there is no change. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 in verse 17. And he says this, Brethren, join 
in following my example. Notice he says, note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Notice what he says. He says, I have given you an example. Paul is not simply saying, I want you to be my disciples. He says, I have walked before Christ before you. We have to understand that in many cases, Paul was the first example of a Christian that these people saw. And when he demonstrated Christ, (coughs) this was the pattern he wanted them to follow. He did not want them to go looking to external things to bring into the walk of Christ. But rather that Christ came out from the work that he had done and from the word that he had given. And Paul was not saying that you should just follow me. But in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And what Paul is simply saying is, the only reason I'm saying you follow me is because I want you to know what Christ has to say to you. And so he says, there are many who are walking, who have made the profession with their mouth. They have even changed and reformed some things on the outside. But he says, I tell you weeping that they're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross because nothing inside really changed. Friends, that's a, that's a sad state of affairs. Because these people have most likely deceived themselves. They most likely have gotten to a place where they're okay to sin and call themselves a Christian at the same time. They're okay to progress in their sin, never repenting, no remorse, no guilt, no shame, and they're willing to plunge deeper into it and still say, everything's good, I'm a Christian. We live in a society today of people that take the grace of God so lightly that they use it as an excuse to sin. And friends, that's a, that's a shame on the, on, the, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blot on the church, if you please, that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God, and yet we're doing this. Friends, we, we need to take inventory of our lives. Who are we walking after? What really is the pattern of our lives? If somebody, if we are to take a look at what God says about our lives, is it conform? Are we conformed to Him? You see, the believer worships Christ and not the desires of the flesh. He says here, their God is their belly. Literally, their God is their desires. Whatever desire they have. That is their God. They worship it. They follow it. They they coddle it. They they nourish it. They keep it close to them. 
so they can do more of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame, but we've lived for ourselves in our flesh. It's hard at times for us to know what it really means to walk in the Spirit. The child of God, lastly, he's a citizen of heaven. He's from a different place. And so if we're going to walk as Christ walked, there must be a walk in hope of another place. We look forward to a citizenship from another place. That's why we don't participate here in some things. Because they don't belong to us. They're not fit for us. We're not fit for them. They don't, there's not a match. What I mean by fit is, you know, the, 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 the piece of wood on your cabinetry, you know, it needs to fit so that your door will work. And when... When the Holy Spirit works in a person's life and sin comes, Satan wants to bring sin alongside and bring it into their lives. It's like when that door joint doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with them. It's not fit for them and they're not fit for it. And we need to, to put these things aside because our citizenship is heaven. These things will not be in heaven. People in heaven don't serve their own bellies. People in heaven don't live for their flesh. People in heaven serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They worship God and they follow Him. Imitating Christ means that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. That means while we're on this earth, our, our lives are to be His. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service it's only reasonable friends that we give ourselves to god for his use that now my mind is is to be filled with his praise now my tongue is to speak aloud of his goodness now my hands are here to do his work now my feet go to the places he wants us to go and it's all to glorify Him. It's to show that this is what God does with a sinner when He grabs him and takes him to the cross. <clears throat> it's a sweet-smelling savor to God. It's something that's like a perfume. It's like an incense. Sometimes we have these scented candles, you know, and you have the coffee scent, and you can smell the coffee in that candle, or you can smell the, the, the peppermint oil in it, or whatever it is. God, when he sees these things coming out of the life of the believer, it's like a scent, a, an odor to him that is pleasing to him. It brings him glory, it brings him praise, because this is what he wants from his children. He doesn't say here you have to do certain things. But he says in the things that he calls you to do, this is how he wants you to function. It will mean that we will leave off and we will put on. We will expel and we will include. There are things that we will put out of our lives and there are things that we will bring into our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, how should this great sacrifice of Christ for us, how should that affect our living? Should that not give us 
a heart of praise, a heart of worship, that even the hardest, the most difficult things we have to do is still nothing in comparison to what He did for me. Sometimes it's hard to to forgive a brother or a sister. Sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor. Sometimes it's hard to serve somebody else. But what has He done for us? Has He not given heaven's best for us? The King of glory has come to this earth and given Himself a ransom for us? Should we not? Should we not think differently about this than what we do sometimes? I want to ask you, are you desiring to imitate Christ in your daily living? Is there a desire that comes within that you want to imitate Christ? You want to be like Christ? You want to talk like Christ? You want to walk like Christ? You want to think and and say the things Christ would say? Is this something that drives you? Is this something that compels you? Is this something that motivates you? Sometimes we, we lose track of what we should really be motivated about. Sometimes we lose track of what should really drive us. And friends, these are the things that should drive us. They will affect what we say and how we say it. They will affect what we do and how and where we do it. They will affect everything about us. Because... We live for a different source. We live from a different source than what this world lives. The natural man has only the natural things to back up to. The spiritual man has the things of God that are filling him day in and day out. Who rules the conduct of your life? Christ or your fleshly desires? Are you ruled by your desires? Paul tells us that he won't be brought under the power of any of these things. This is, this is convicting for me. Because there are things that I enjoy and love. You know, but is it Christ in me or is it something I'm just doing to please myself? What kind of change would God's people experience If we all, everyone who names the name of Christ, would live as imitators of Christ. What kind of change would come over America? What kind of change would come over Coffee County and Warren County and Franklin County? What kind of change would come over our cities? Tullahoma. Belvedere, Huntland, Winchester, Normandy, Morrison, Manchester, Woodbury. Include Cannon County there too. What kind of change would come in our real lives if God's people, those who profess God's name, really lived this way? Friends, the, the Holy Spirit is at work. To bring this about in your life and mine. The Holy Spirit, that's what He's doing. Though we can't see the picture as it is complete, we're in the middle of a beginning and finish. We're in the race. Yet there's a work that He's doing, and that's what He's wanting. 
That's the goal he's pushing for. That's what he's doing in everything that he does in our lives, whether we understand it or whether we don't. I love that one of the things that a brother mentioned recently when tragedy had come into their, fa- their home and had someone asked him, what did you think? What was the first things that you thought about? He said, one of the first things that came to my mind is that God is in sovereign control. And I love that. That's beautiful. So are we following him? Well, secondly, we notice love's enemies must be expelled from our lives. The enemies of this love, Satan will try to tear it down. He will try to destroy it. He has tried to destroy it. He has done a lot to deceive God's people. And God gives us some basic instructions here. Let's notice verses 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. The practice of fornication must be put to death in every believer. The practice of impure sexual sin. This is any sexual practices that are not within the marriage covenant. These things are an enemy of Christ. They will rob you of your victory, your joy, and your assurance of salvation in Christ. Sin always takes away and never gives back. Christ is the only one who gives, though he takes <clears throat> he takes our sin and he takes things away from us that we really like. Sometimes sin is way too dear to us. Sometimes pleasures are way too fond in our minds and in our hearts. We have these darling sins, these pet sins. And he's, he takes those away, but what he gives is so much more. The life that I live, he says, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These sins must be immediately stopped and forsaken. These are things to stop and forsake. If we know that we are practicing sin and you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have the power right now to stop. God has provided everything you need. To stop. Now, I agree we fail. We fall. There are times we don't do. We, we, we have, there's a growth period. I understand that. But you have the power and the ability to stop. And you need to, to remember that God's asking you to stop. The Holy Spirit's asking you to stop. And that's what it means by fornication. The actual acts. But notice he says, not only the acts, but uncleanness and the covetousness. The heart of covetousness and impure thinking. That has to do with the mind. That needs to be put away from us. See, that sometimes is a little bit trickier to deal with. Sometimes those things come along and we don't know where they came from. We don't think about what we're doing and suddenly it's taking us down a path. 
that's wrong. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. <clears throat> Let's see what, what Paul has to say here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. This impurity, this, this, notice he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. We kind of frown at sanctification sometimes because we don't like it. It's difficult. It's tough. It digs in where we don't like to be dug into. But sanctification is a glorious thing. And if we will but begin to see what God is doing with sanctification in our lives, it will change our attitude about sanctification. Sanctification can, is the, one of the most glorious things that God has done and is doing in a Christian's life. It is the way he actually makes us into the image of Christ. The trouble, the pain, the difficulty, the, the angst, the not knowing, all these things. He works together to bring about the image of Jesus Christ in us so that we lay aside the things that aren't important to us anymore. And friend, I'm going to tell you, if you see the importance of what God is doing in your life, you'll see the garbage of sin for what it is. And that's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see that he is holy and he's making us holy. That's what sanctification is. There's a part of sanctification of being made holy that, that, has the, that has the definition of an awful holiness. What do I mean by that? There's a part of God in his holiness that every man, woman, boy, and girl dreads to face. There is a part of God who is, he is so holy, he is so pure, he is so righteous None of us can gaze upon him, lest we die. There is a righteousness that God is, has in his perfection and in his beauty that is glorious beyond our ability to stand it. There's a sense in which God is bringing us more and more to the place where we can gather more and more of His holiness in, and we are more and more able to come closer to Him. One day that will be complete, and He will make us able to stand in His presence, to worship Him in the beauty of holiness, and that holy presence of God will, will not undo us as it would here. That transformation is going to be so great that I believe we will worship him as the people in heaven worship him as they can never worship him here. They stand in his presence. There is no impurity. There is nothing that stands between them and God. That work of sanctification 
part of our reason for not enjoying it, not appreciating, there's a dreadful, <clears throat> pardon me, there's a dreadful awesomeness about God. And when he deals with our sin, when he deals with our fleshly life, there's a part of him that we are terrified of. We have no control. We lose control. There's the inability to grasp who he really is. We find this in, we find this in when, when Jesus was on the sea. And the winds and the waves were taking the ship. And he was in the boat asleep. And the disciples came and, Master, we're, 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 we're perishing. And they were afraid for their lives. When Jesus stood up <clears throat> and he rebuked the winds and the waves and the peace came upon the, the sea. There was a terror that came over those disciples that went way beyond the terror of the sea. There was a terror that the Holy One is now in their boat. The Holy One is in the midst. When Peter had thrown the, fit, the, the nets over the side and he had fished all night long and not, caught nothing, and when the master said, throw the net to the other side, and it hauled in a great haul of fish. He fell at the master's feet. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's the holiness of God. You see, friends, there needs to be an understanding of the holiness of God in our lives. There needs to be an understanding that God is doing something bigger than here. He's making us fit to worship Him there. And that makes this sin look like trash. It makes it look like it is. Well, I don't have time to go to Matthew 23, but God's not interested in just having whitewashed sepulchers where the outside is beautiful and and Jesus told the, the Pharisees and scribes there, you're, you're beautiful on the outside. You look immaculate. Everything fits. Everything's perfect. But you're full of dead men's bones. These men manicured the outside of their lives and did nothing to the heart. They followed their lusts and their flesh in every way that they wanted to. And it's because, friends, that God is interested in the heart and he wants to clean the whole man. He wants to deal with the whole person that God is not going to let up. He's not going to give up. The Holy Spirit's not going to shut up, if you please, because he is going to get our attention in one way or another. He's going to drink, drag us, bring us to a place where we understand that God is doing something for his holiness. He wants us to be, to be on board with him on that. He wants us to be good with that. He wants us to, to agree with him on that. That's why he's told us this in his word. These things don't fit with the saints. These sins that he mentions here, they don't fit with the saints. And so he says, let them not even be named among you. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Notice he says that foolish mind, that foolish, that, that filthy mind, that foolish talking, and that crude joking has to be replaced by something. You're taking, you're, you're doing away with that. 
It now needs to be replaced with thanksgiving to God. Instead of thinking about all the filthy, smutty things you've seen and and talking about them and joking about them, what about giving thanks to God for what He has done in your life? What about the big debt that you owed? What about the price that I couldn't pay for my sin? What about the sacrifice of His one and only Son? What about these things? Doesn't He need more thanks? Doesn't He need more gratitude in His... from me? Absolutely. See, friends, if, if this becomes a problem in your life, God is not interested in you fighting your flesh on your own strength. God is interested that you come back to Him. And you come back to Him by realizing your need of Him and you give Him thanks for what He has done for you. And let me just say this. That when we don't, when we cannot control our mind, we cannot control our mouth, and we cannot control our living by our own ways of reformation. He wants us to fill our speech, our thinking, our actions with thanksgiving to Him for His love for us, worship that is acceptable to Him, sacrificial living for His glory. We will then be ready to expel our sin. When we see that we need Him, and we see that we cannot cleanse ourselves, but we must be cleansed by Him, that humbles us. I've got a problem I can't deal with. I've got a problem I can't handle myself. I need Christ. And, and, and if, you, and if you, you feel like you're, you, you have known Christ, go back to Christ again. You need more of Him. You need to grow in Him. You need to just turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. You you need a good dose of that gaze by the Holy One upon your life. And you need to gaze into His eyes through the Word. You need to fill your mind with the truth. You need to fill your heart with gratitude. You need to fill your mouth with the praises of our Lord. I promise you, if you will put, do what God says to do here, if you will put away these things out of your life and take up thanksgiving where that was, it will change forever the hold that that sin had on your life. Until you have Christ rooted and grounded in you, you will continue to go and come with the ways of this world. He's not asking us, you just got to be a better man. You just got to man up to this thing. You just got to square up to it and, and take it on. No. He's not saying, well, you need, to, you need, to, take, you need to, to, to sit over here under this teacher over here and learn and, and do so much learning and put in so many hours. No. Or, or you, need to, you need to conform yourself to this rigid outward standard where, where you, you do nothing outside of this certain standard. No, friends, this is a standard of the heart. It's where God is putting up 
raising up a fortress that brings glory to his name and throws off the things of the flesh. I think about the little tree. The little tree that the seed was, fell down into the crack of the sidewalk, into the crevice of the sidewalk, and was let go. Just let go. Bound under that sidewalk. Dirt and mud and everything came down over top of it. But the power of that, that was within that seed sprung a tree. And that tree grew up and eventually broke the sidewalk. I want you to know that God's Spirit within you is the ability to break the bondage of the flesh. It is the ability to throw that flesh off. And it's only as that Spirit is dwelling in you and working in you that the flesh gets thrown off. The problem is we want to get by with the minimal amount of the Spirit that we think we can get by with. We want to get by with the minimal amount of Christ that we think we need. Then is it any wonder that we're anemic, we're weak. These things come in and they take over. It is God's will that these be thrown off. And he has given us the means by which to do it. It is his spirit at work within us, causing us to give thanks for what he has done. Now he says, let no one, I need to close here quickly. One, the last point, love in discernment. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In fact, he's beginning verse five. I'm sorry. For this, you know, for know this. These are things we need to know. Our love needs to not just be out here wishy-washy everywhere, but he said, there are some things you need to know. Here's what you need to know about Christ and about his love. Number one, no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In fact, if we were to go to Revelation, we'd find that outside the city are these people. They're not partaking of the inheritance of God. In fact, one place Paul says that they... they, Wonder, they think it's strange of you that you don't run with the same wild dissipation that they do. Why is that? You're made of something different within. It's a necessary distinction that we must make. Somehow the church today has tried to pull everybody in and just make everybody feel at home. And we've left off the distinctions that God has told us to make. This is one of them. That if anybody is going to participate here, they cannot participate in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. In fact, it's one one who is saved. As we saw in John 6 this morning, he partakes of Christ. The one who walks in these things partakes of these things. You cannot be fully engaged without any, any, uh, any inhibitions in one 
At the same time, you're fully engaged without any inhibitions in the other. What I mean by that is simply this. There was a day and a time when we walked according to the lusts of our flesh and we did it gladly, we did it willfully, we wanted more of it, and we couldn't get enough of it. But the day that we became born again, when God came in and He dealt the death blow to our sin and He cleansed our hearts from that sin, there was a day when He raised up His standard of righteousness and the Holy Spirit came in to dwell. And now if I take the members of my body and I use them in a sinful fashion, I take the Holy Spirit, I take the Lord Jesus Christ with me. And there is a contradiction in my life. And I will know it because the Holy Spirit will speak in direct terms. And I will know that this is wrong. I cannot go back to the sin the way I went before. It's a little bit the way... You have this, 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 this pond, you know what it's like. You look into the scummy pond and you see these little tadpoles swimming around in there. And these are baby frogs that once they swam freely in the water, they breathe, the wa- they breathe their oxygen through the water. One day those gills turned to lungs and they came out of the water and they could no longer go back to the water the same way they used to go. At some point, the frog has to come up for air. And friends, that's the way it is with us. We can no longer immerse ourselves in our sin because Christ has done another work within us. And yes, we may be dealing with problems and troubles. (coughs) But the difference between one who is born again and one who is not is that the one who is born again lives in Christ. He partakes of Christ. The one who is not born again lives of himself partakes of his flesh, and that's all he has. And so I ask you this morning, are you making this this distinction? One who is lost, friends, has no inheritance in Christ or God. It's a distinction we have to make. But every believer... I don't care how much trouble he has in his life. If Christ is at work, even even though it seems to be obscure, when you get to the root of the issue, there is a longing and a desire and a motivation to please Christ, to love him, to draw nearer to him. Even though it's imperfect, even though there's so many things that are wrong, I tell you, my friends, that one has an inheritance in Christ. Sometimes a Christian looks worse than a non-Christian. Sometimes the non-Christian knows how to polish the outside really well. And the Christian struggles because he's honest. But I want to tell you that the Christian, the believer, has an inheritance in Christ. There's a reality that he is looking forward to and longing for that is at work in him now with Christ. So every Christian has a food supply and has a trash heap. Every Christian has a food supply and has a trash heap, and we must distinguish between the two. We've got to stop confusing the two and mixing them up. Every believer has a past. Every believer has sin that they've had to deal with in their life. What does God do with our sin? 
Psalm 103 says he takes it as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed us our sins from us. And as a father pities his children, so the Lord has pity on those that love him. One man said he throws it in the sea of his forgetfulness and puts up no fishing signs. And that's for me and that's for you. We're not to go back and dig around and fish around in the things that we got rid of. That's trash. We're to pursue the food chain, the food source, and that is Christ. He's given himself for us to be bread for us in these times, in this struggle. And that's why he says... He, that's why he says, do not let anyone deceive you with these things, because you've got to keep them straight. The devil wants to confuse the things and say that oh, every, everybody's just a Christian. He's, he's just a good old boy, you know. That's not the way it is. God wants us to keep these things distinct. The world is trying to say that you can be whatever gender you want. You can be whatever sexuality you want. You can live however you want and still call yourself a Christian. Friends, the Bible says we have to make a distinction. If we don't make a distinction, it is damnable to us. It is destructive to us. Every Christian must put on his trash heap the things he used to take as his food supply. Every Christian lived one time in these things. That was his food. Today they are his trash. And so as we... As we think through these things, brothers and sisters, let's consider that God has provided for the needs of our souls. He's went to the he's sent his son so that we may be fed, not just made to feel a little better, but fed the truth by the Holy Spirit within continually. Man's smooth words And empty excuses. That's why he says, let nobody deceive you with empty words. They cannot dull the reality that God has given himself for us. And that he will spend his wrath on sin. Let's not. And he says, therefore, we are not to be partakers of these things. These things are to be put away from us. They are to be replaced with Christ. Just think about this for a minute. When you take something out that was present there, you leave a hole. Whatever you take out of your life as sin must be replaced with Christ. Or that hole will grow on you and you will go back to the trash pile to find something to fill it. When he says, don't partake of them, when you have dealt with the issue, partake of Christ. Go to Christ. Set your affections on Christ, on things above. Obey Him with a heart of love and with a heart of thanksgiving. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I realize it's late. But as we close, I want to ask you, If you are not a believer this morning, there's a desire within your heart to be made holy by the one, 
the only one who can make you holy. I'm going to ask you this morning, come to Christ. Believe on him. Trust him. He has the, <clears throat> the means and all of his resources are your disposal when you come to Christ. Outside of Christ, you can't see him. You don't know him. You can't experience him. In him, they are readily available to all who come to him. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father and our Lord, as we humbly bow before you, we ask your grace upon this word, Lord, that you would bring this truth home to us. God, I pray that we would be willing to put off the things you've asked us to put off. And Lord, we'd be willing to go to Christ. Take everything that he has to offer us. Accept his provision for us, his death for us, his life that he lived as our righteous robe. Father, I pray for every person here as they face the trials and troubles and struggles of this next week. That, Father, they would be able to walk in love before you, imitating you and putting away the flesh. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for all that you will do. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Bless these people, Lord, with your spirit. Give them grace. Give them the ability to see your blessing upon their lives, Lord. Give them comfort. Give them encouragement. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.